better pray, especially tonight. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for marriage. We're grateful for your guidance. We're grateful that you've given us ways to live in a better way than the world, more pleasurable way. We're especially grateful for sex, Lord, and we'd ask that you give us uh, uh, guidance from your word, that we can approach this as couples um, for our joy and your satisfaction in us. In your son's name, amen. Okay, giving affection is, is the, probably the most polite way you can refer to this. And what generally happens, in, at least I've experienced, in Christian circumstances where you're talking about sex to married couples, the guys are all going, yippee, sex, the sex talk. And the wives are going, oh heavens, the sex talk. Um, even when they're young marrieds, you know, there's something embarrassing, you know, and I mean not all of you, but there's, there's something grotesquely embarrassing about sex to women and something jocular with the men, nudging each other in the locker room, you know. Uh, um, uh, it's, it's the way men and women are. It's, it's, uh, but, but as you think about what you're thinking of this uh, evening's talk, if you're one of those two things, be thinking of why that distinction exists and is it good, is it healthy, is it something that uh, just adds humor? There's a certain degree of husbands joshing their wives about making whoopee and the wives going, get your hands off me, you swine. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, it's, and it's funny, you know, there's a certain degree of lightheartedness. It's never good when it's get your hands off me, you swine, and they mean it, okay? That's not good. Um, but we need to start like with we did with marriage. We, we, well, we're married, or most of you are, um, with defining what we're talking about. Um, I don't want to assume that everyone knows what sex is. Uh, Bill Clinton kind of spoiled that for everybody. Uh, nobody quite knows where to draw a line. Now they're trying to get marriage for homosexuals, so... Everybody's going, well, is it, oh, do I, if I define sex, does it have to be in Christian moral terms? Um, is it sex when homosexuals have it? Or is it not sex at all? What, how do I define it? You know, in the most generic, vanilla way, I have a definition here on page 18. Sex is an action using the primary genital organs with the intent to achieve the pleasure attendant to the capabilities of those organs. Now, that just took all the spice right out of it, didn't it? <laughs> uh, organs. Um, attendant to. Uh, well, you, you want to be clear. You don't want to have, you don't want to have the, the, the purient satisfaction we're getting out of uh, uh, talking about this to, or, or to be too broad in such a way that it doesn't cover um, what we know to be sex and somebody, well, some young couple you're counseling or some um, unmarried people uh, engaging in uh, illicit actions, but well, it wasn't what you said sex was. If you define it in terms of purity or you define it in terms of only married, then you can't have fornication. I know some people who hold that if you fornicate, you married the girl. That, that marriage, marriage and sex were synonymous. Um, so I don't want you to go that direction. I just want you to keep it, okay, it means getting your jollies with your sexual organs. 
Um, those are elements that you can um, think about. Uh, what, how could I falsify that? How could I make? Where is a situation where that wouldn't apply? And I'm just thinking generic vanilla sex, what we know it to be, um, isn't making out. That may not be the best idea, but if you're not married to the person, but uh, it's not kissing. It's not heavy hand holding. It's using your sexual organs to gain the pleasure, orgasm, of the sexual organs. Now, when you know what sex is, uh, sometimes, like with marriage being an avowed, sustaining an avowed sexual membership, we sometimes think if I am sustaining this avowed sexual membership and it's not very good, it's still as much marriage as the next person's. We as Christians are looking, that's a base, no pun intended, a uh, the bedrock definition from which we as Christians, because we are the faithful, we are the ones that know the living God who made the stuff. It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. And he was looking for a sexual fitness. He showed him all the animals right after he said that. Had him name all the animals, but there was not found for Adam something fit for him. Women are fit for men. Now, we uh, uh, know that our God is the agent of all this. He is the one that hardwired both the psychology and the uh, physiology into us that would give us one of the greatest pleasures in, in our lives, which is one of the difficulties between men and women, is men look at it and go, look, honey, this is free. We don't have to pay anything for this. We don't have any money. We're poor. We can go have sex. And the wife's looking at him like, what? What are you talking about? But we see this great pleasure at our disposal. Now that's the problem. We get to realize that largely it's the men who see this great pleasure at their disposal. And it's not that women don't have pleasure in sex. Um, that's the other kind of cruel aspect to this. Um, having talked to a number of people over many years, um, you begin to realize that men who want it the most get the least and get the least pleasure. Women who want it the least get more pleasure more frequently in they could have an orgasm, they could have five orgasms in a night. Guys can't. You know, you might think you can, but no, you can't. And uh, it, it seems like, wow, golly, this is all mixed up. This is all mixed up that, that the, the, the lesser desire and the greater desire were, um, and it's kind of like women in chocolate. They want to be thin and they like chocolate. It's, it's, a, it's a cruel uh, uh, conflict. Now, when we're talking about what sex is and then moving on to what sex can be, um, we're, we want to be sure that we don't misunderstand what's going on. We think we know. No, we think when we hit 14, the guys anyway, they became puberty and everything started kicking in. Everything that moved in a skirt aroused them. And, uh, and you started to talk among your friends or you found out the lessons from your parents or whatever. Um, you thought that you could just sort of wander into sex in your marriage and do what came naturally. And you thought, in many ways, that there was a, 
there's a there's a danger of of what's called projection. I have a quote here from that hideous strength. If he guessed, this is speaking of Mark Studdock, who is the male married character in the book. If he guessed very little of the maladjustment between them, this was partly due to our race's incurable habit of projection. We think the lamb gentle because its wool is soft to our hands. Men call a woman voluptuous when she arouses voluptuous feelings in them. Jane's body, soft though firm and firm though rounded, was so exactly to Mark's mind that it was all but impossible for him not to attribute to her the same sensations which she excited in him. We look at a woman and they go, they're so fine. I married this woman, she's, she's so good looking. Look at her body. She must feel what I'm feeling about it because we think that a lamb is gentle because it's got soft fur. Fur? <laughs> Whoa. I'm not a farm kid. <laughs> I learned about sex from MTV. I didn't learn it from the farm. Um, now, we need to realize that that misunderstanding, we, we, here we are married, we know we're allowed to have sex as Christians, God wants us to have sex, and then all sorts of sexual politics and lack of production or, or lack of interest or just a not commonality of, about frequency or nature of it or whatever else, you begin to realize that we're not looking at this beast the same way. And we err when we project and think that the person, because they're uh, um, exciting looking, they are excited. That's why, you know, beautiful women on the screen, everybody thinks if they're beautiful, they're hot in bed. Why would that be so? What, what scientific thing, the more beautiful they get, the hotter their reputation? Well, since I'm, I let you know that it's, this is what you run into, and you may have run into it, um, after 34 years of marriage, we, we ran into it pretty early. Um, I don't know how early. The memory bank here probably could tell you, but... Uh, Feel free to ask her afterwards, when did you figure out he was an animal? It was definitely before uh, we were finished with three years of marriage. Yeah. And there's always that curiosity in that first stage. Even women seem to like sex then. Even women. <laughs> they th well, it seems to the man that they like it just as much. Well, they're just getting out of their system. They finally feel, hey, I'm not a tramp. I'm sleeping with my husband and it's okay. But okay, enough of a good thing here. Well, it's, it's been heaven's three years. We're done. Um, well, sexual frustration is a key element. Now, it, we, we, we see when people don't get along as Christians, uh, when they don't, when they're not building their membership in these areas, when they're not pursuing God together, when they're not pursuing their security together, and they're not pursuing each other's body together, when something comes in to pull that apart, Circumstance could be, could be attitudes, it could be different views of sex. There's a frustration that arises. Somebody is not getting what they want. Sometimes it's the wife feeling ill-used, like she's having to put out too much. Sometimes it's the husband 
generally feeling the wife isn't putting out anywhere near enough, and it could be in the same marriage. I'm putting out too much, she's not putting out enough. Putting out is the crude way of term. You know what I mean, right? This is not too Christian an audience. Right? Um, if we understood what was actually going on sexually. Now, some of you have heard some of these things before. It says in Proverbs 5, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. And if you're feeling that, that this is a little bit not very well hidden erotica, you're right. Okay? You sh should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely hind, a graceful doe, let her affection fill you at all times with delight. Be infatuated always with her love. Why should you be infatuated, my son, with a loose woman, and the embrace of the embosom of the adventurous? Well, the RSV doesn't do quite do this justice. I let you know that this was an erotic passage, and you'll probably get, okay, all right, I see, fountains, streams, you know, okay, got it, okay. To slow down, I slow down. But even the RSV, which is a more liberal translation, the, R the King James lets you know what the word actually is. Let her affection fill you at all times with delight. The word affection is breasts. King James translates it breasts. Let her breasts feel, fill you at all times with delight. Guys are going, all right, Bible's on my side. All times. Right? At all times. Always. My work here is done. I have a Bible verse. I can tack it to the fridge so that the wife knows the King James, especially the King James. Put the King James up there. Let her... And she's always... <laughs> but even the men don't quite know what they're desiring. They think they just want to get their rocks off, right? They just want to get off. They think. Well, so does the lion in the pride. So does the warthog with the Mrs. Warthog. So does the monkeys. So do everybody. But you ever notice those films on Discovery or Nova or whatever it is? And you see the animals copulating and they don't look like they're enjoying it. Especially the woman does not. The, the, the female. She's never enjoying it. She's usually growling, snarling back at the, the, the lion. And he's just uh, being completely insensitive to her feelings. Takes as long as he needs to. And he's done and asleep under a tree. And that is, um, that's what the men think they're after. And they think, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and if your animal, remember, you are humane to the degree you govern yourself. And if you don't govern yourself, your passions will govern you. And if your passions just govern you, you, you will think that it is just the animal urge of sexuality, and you're not going to find the degree of pleasure. I'm not selling you a Christian restraint. I am selling you a hotter erotic path. Okay? That's what I'm selling. Maybe that'll get your attention. How much are we charging? A little bit more. A little more. <laughs> We're going to pass around the plate. If you want this lecture to continue. <laughs> hotter, hotter. Um, guys don't understand themselves. Women certainly don't understand them. <laughs> we think that it's just a matter of that tingly feeling in our naughty bits. And we, 
and and uh, and if we have an orgasm, we're and and a lot of men live in this world. They visit prostitutes, or they have switch out their girlfriends, or they have booty calls, or whatever they have in in their uh, life to get off. They're not pursuing the symphony of pleasure, learning to play the instrument well, not just learning to play the tune. I can I can play Mary had a little lamb on a piano, or I can play a real musical piece. And when you have a wife that you are member in membership with. Um, rejoicing at this possibility of building a far better sexuality, um, you're going to need to cover these bits first. Because this is what any Gentile can put his private organs into a woman, make the requisite movements, and have an orgasm. He could do it by himself. He could visit somebody he even hates. Then man, then man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This was the answer to man not being alone. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother. The reason it says therefore is what he just said previously. Therefore, because she was taken out of man, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. Always weirded me out that cleave was all both blending and separating. You cleave something and you cleave together. I'm not quite sure how that happened. That um, that's not on the topic. It's just curiosity on but my part. But in this case, we're talking about the coming joining. together, joining, joining together. You don't sure. cleave the wife <laughs> unless she's really disobedient. And they become one flesh. We know from Corinthians that that one flesh is sex. In case you didn't get the word picture. He applies it to prostitution. And then he says, don't go to the prostitute because you become one flesh with her. Quoting this verse. So we know it's sex, and we know that because she was taken out of man, down through history, men seek woman. That's not because there's pleasure in it. That's not because it's pleasure. This is why homosexuality won't answer. It's why self-abuse wouldn't answer. God, the answer from God for our desire is to, is to have someone of our own, someone of ourselves that we have regained. The French word for it is rapprochement, which is the reunion of the things that have been separated. That's what men desire. Men don't desire to rub their naughty bits. They do as animals, but as men, they desire rapprochement. We call it, so we don't like to use the French, we don't like the French, the mojo. Our desire for a woman, this mojo, is not just, not just a vessel of pleasure, but a vessel of er an erotic notion regarding them. The symbol of sex, the symbol of sex, and I will try not to do this too much, the symbol of sex is the symbol to us, it's a metaphor of this desire for reunion. It's a, it speaks to the creation. It speaks to um, this unfulfilled desire to put us back together. The act God gave us is a lot like... Ever wonder why we kiss? It's the most disgusting. I won't share a Pepsi bottle. Well, we would rather drink, drink Pepsi. A Coke bottle with my wife. Because well, she could sort of spit on it. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's really disgusting. And when she wants a little puff on my cigar, I... Oh, okay, all right. 
I have to sort of overcome the gag reflex when I take it back. But oddly enough, when you're kissing, you pretty much try to swallow their face, <laughs> right? And you don't care anymore, right? You're trying to, as, as, as uh, Lewis said, I think it was in The Four Loves, uh, talking of lovers wanting to eat one another. That's because during sex, not only are your genitals smooshed together, not only are you penetrating and being penetrated, but every other aspect of your physical embrace, your gymnastics of sex, which is great because gymnos is naked. <laughs> the gymnastic, feel free to use that in polite company. Well, we're a gymnastic uh, class. That's why we're late. The, the naked, a, a, a gym is a naked place. The Logos School had to rename their field house a field house because they called it the Logos Gym. And they knew, somebody said, hold it, it doesn't that mean naked place? And it does. Gymnos. But we know that, that not only in the, you might say, the innocent, moral exercise of sex, when you're having straight up missionary position, kissy face, uh, uh, rollabout, but even in the perversions, and mostly men. men. Women have their own perversions, separate thing, different psychology. Men's psychology, the perversions are expressions of this. Men will have their unit cut off so they can pretend to be a woman. They will dress up in women's clothes so they could be inside a woman. They, this whole desire to be, um, or, or you know, stay up late enough, not too late, generally, commercials start being about um, male enhancement, right? Beca not because there's a great cry, outcry from the woman population that men need to be bigger than average in their genitals, but because all men, all men feel that they could have greater pleasure if they could be more into this woman, further in. That's why sometimes in marriage some of the struggle, and we're not talking about uh, tonight, we're not going to be talking about the, you might say, the practicum. We're going to try and speak straight up about it, but we're not going into what's allowed for Christian couples, you know, that sort of nonsense. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit, but we're not going to, we're not going to deal with that, but we but we know that um, whatever it is you do, sometimes men want to uh, be a little bit wilder, more aggressive, and, and, and draw their wife into more and more kinds of activity, we'll just say, because they're following this urge of rapprochement. They want to, they want to consume this woman. They, they would like it if somehow they woke up in the morning and they were stuck together. They, they had blended Back into, back into one. Um, this idea of the human is different than the animal because the because our, we move from pleasure to erotic pleasure by the idea that's attached to the act. The lion, the wolf, the monkey—they don't have an idea. The, the woman goes into rut or heat, whatever they go into, and the male has his way with them. And they produce babies, but. They probably have some pleasure, but they don't even understand it, and nor do they pursue anything erotic. The idea you have with sex produces the erotic. That's what you add as a human being. This is the one that you begin to realize. Now, I'm telling you men this, but 
about themselves, but women, it's information that you're, you're supposed to be able to use. Because each of us, says a little bit later in our lesson, we possess each other's bodies. Okay, each of us do. And, and so this is information about men that women should know and use. And when we, when we talk in a minute about um, uh, what the reverse is. But this whole idea of rapprochement, this idea of penetrating and being rejoined with the woman is what we're expressing in sex. And the more that is spoken to in the act, in the narrative, in the imagination, in the participation of the couple in sex, the more erotic it is for the man. Now, because we have not been given success, uh, God has, has made marriage last because not this target of our desire is um, we have these moments in the, again as marriage occurs we vow to be that to her and we have the solace of orgasm but it punctuates and ends this attempt you're, you're just living out a metaphor sex is a metaphor for reunion and we live it out, and God has given us orgasm at the end. It's soulless. It's a great pleasure, and it says, hey, try again tomorrow. <laughs> and the fact that marriage allows us to keep getting at it with that one person so that we get better and better, and, and this longer established attempt um, uh, is a great thing. And children, I think I mentioned this before, that children are are that actual success. You know, it's not that if you don't have kids, you're not a success. But if in children you see that successful blending, you, 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 you went into the blender mode, and all of a sudden she came out pregnant. And that little kid is half you, half her. It's never three quarters her, one quarter you. It's always half you, half her. <laughs> now the woman, on the other hand, is um, got a different relationship with sex. The idea that they want to be sexy, they don't want sex. It's uh, that's a you know that's a worldly assessment. It's very very true. Women are very very conscious of their appearance. They have all different styles, different tastes. Different men have different tastes and kind of women. That's all. Never, no, never mind. But this idea that women want to excite, but they're not as not thinking as participants in the excitement. It's not every woman. There are some women that are, you might say, exceptions. But women who love their husbands um, want to always be desirable to them. They want the husband always to become thinking of them and not thinking of the cute secretary down at work. Um, but they really d don't deal with it by being sexual. They do it by ramping up the sexuality. The desire for them is what they want to increase. Um, now, when women say, we do want it, we just don't want it as much and not in the same way, I agree with them that they don't want it as much and not in the same way. Uh, but you're going to find that unless you find the ideas and start living in membership with those ideas, that means that you both understand the other, 
you both understand the other, and you've talked about it, you have slept together with it in mind, you've taken it out for a spin, you've, you've uh, uh, labored at making this work, it will just become the animal perfunctory pleasure. And pretty soon, he's just not, uh, what was it, what was it the, uh, our friend said the other night about some, you had some uh, example about a fence. Oh. Was that here or later? Well, we were going to talk about it later, but I could use it now. It was, um, it, somebody did a survey at their church, and they were having some thing about sex. And, and the question on the survey to the men was, would you rather have sex with your wife when she wasn't interested or go out and fix the fence in the rain? And all of the guys wanted to go fix the fence in the rain rather than... Have sex with a woman that wasn't interested. And um, mm -hmm. uh, it's a... Um, and women start to think that as long as I'm there for him in his baser needs, as long as I let him, and the guy starts going, I don't want to be, the, the mojo is for me to have reunion with this person. This person isn't even welcoming me. They're just allowing me. Allowing you, you know, a hundred bucks to a whore be probably a lot cheaper deal. I'm going to support you, take you to the doctor, feed you, clothe you, and you're going to allow me? I'd rather fix the fence, thank you. And she said, good, that works out for both of us. I get the fence fixed, and you don't keep me up. Well, we want to fix that, because that's not good. In case you're going, I, th I like Evan. He's really supporting our side. I'm not going to. Um, we have sex in, as a key part of marriage. I mean, it's central. It's central. The whole society lives it arrogantly and ignorantly on it and they get it wrong and we as Christians ought to be smiling to ourselves because we're not going to be blasting it around about what kind of sex lives we have but I want you guys to have mind-melting sex lives that you just smile slightly to yourselves in the company of the ungodly knowing that they haven't a clue oh and they don't either mm -hmm. because there was an article that uh, Evan saw posted on Facebook from uh, the Atlantic Monthly about uh, marriages used to be um, for sex and now they're a place where celibacy occurs. This is a non-Christian article. Non-Christian article, but that our culture had mixed up somehow the idea of marriage and the roles of men and women to the point where everybody's trying to do everything, but the women are working outside the home, the men are working outside the home. They both get home, try to take care of the kids, and everybody's so tired that nobody ever has sex. And uh, they're saying that all these modern marriages where everybody's so free and uh, unconcerned about uh, inhibitions and old uh, taboos, they're not even having sex because they don't understand what God designed. And, and the non-Christians are out there cruising for, they're not having sex every night. They're having it on the weekend, maybe once every two weeks, if they score, if they're lucky. You mean the single non-Christians? Single non-Christians. 
So you realize it doesn't take much to outdo the unbelievers, but you want to really outdo them. <laughs> and and uh, we have to realize that this is crucial. God gave us wives as one of the protections against immorality and gave us sex in marriage to protect us against infidelity. That's clear in the text. Um, and you need to have thought it out jointly. You need to have talked about it, not be... These are people you have sex with. They're your spouse, you have sex with this person. You shouldn't be what we call embarrassed. Okay? They were naked and were not ashamed. You've been naked and not ashamed. Okay? And you should be able to speak to your husband, speak to your wife with clarity about what you're pursuing and how you're pursuing it. Now, I haven't still gotten to the what women are looking for and how that affects them sexually. But I, I have asked uh, people over the years, married couples, um, just in the, in the mix of normal span of uh, life after the first flush and thrill of, is gone, ask the wives, I don't know how much time they're having sex or how good it is, but you ask the wives, how much, without, without someone prompting you or asking you to, do you want to do the deed every month, every 30 days? How often? How many times? Out of 30. Two, three. Those were the answers I got from the women. Ask the guys. 30, 60. Round it off. Split the difference. <laughs> 45. Someone's getting frustrated here. And both sides are looking at the other like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> the guys are looking at women saying, you could have all this free pleasure and there's birth control and you don't want to have it. And the woman looking at you like, what are you, some dog? <laughs> now, understanding the motives for the women might help. Just like if you wanted, if you were a woman who understood what men wanted, this is what high-priced call girls get $5,000 a night for, and it's not the sex alone. It's like geisha in Japan. It's not the sex alone. It's the world they create, the narrative they write for those men that they don't get at home. Now, I'm not recommending prostitution, um, in case you were wondering, but you, you, you know you could, you could easily please a man with this little bit of knowledge I've given you with no information about what to do and 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 uh, some sex book, just knowing that he's seeking to be blended with you, absolutely welcomed into you, absolutely. Who is welcoming him? That he's being welcomed. Is she quality? Is she welcome? The honor of a woman allowing you in. If it's a if it's a great woman. Her allowing you in is such an honor to the man. He is very, very excited by that. Now the woman, on the other hand, says in Genesis 3, um, to the woman he said, this is the curse after the sin, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, you say, well, thanks, Evan, for the curse. If you say, this is what excites you. Here, the curse. Um, getting knocked up. Hey, 
water weight gain and, and waddling around for nine months, and then an incredible pain, squeezing a baby out. That's what's supposed to excite me. I'm supposed to get all a little uh, worked up. It's not... Uh, what I want you to see there is that there is, in spite of the fact that something much like a root canal happens to you when, what was it you were talking about, a, a, a kidney stone? Uh, yeah, nobody wants, nobody wants one of those pains. I've had root canals. Nobody goes and says, hey, please, could I? Yeah. I, I don't need one, but would, I, would you please? I'd be happy to pay the money because I would love to have one. <laughs> Yet women know that pregnancy is a natural effect. You have, to, you have to really think hard to not get preggers. You have to work at not getting preggers because if you do the deed, it's designed to make you preggers. And uh, then, again, that's swelling. You look like a gourd. And uh, you don't, don't dress well uh, during that time. What else is awful about it? Throwing up. There's the throwing up, yes. Thank you, Diane. <laughs> So obviously the, women are, the women's desire for man is overcoming a rather big hurdle. <laughs> we look at women and go, yeah, I want them. Why? Because it's a lot of pleasure. Women are looking at men going, yeah, that's going to be, that guy's a pain. He's going to give me pain, but I want him. Why do I want him? And if I know why the want is there, I understand what narrative is separating me from the animal. A woman can have an orgasm with the right movements and the right acts, but for us to write more than animal satisfaction, we have to have a humane narrative that God has designed into the picture so that we appeal to it. Because if you try, gentlemen, to appeal to just the raw satisfaction, if I only was bigger, if I only knew what I was doing, if I only would get her excited, you know, that only carry you so far. That's only uh, the level of the animal. First Peter 3, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives when they see your reverent and chaste behavior. Let not yours be the outward adorning with braiding of hair, decoration of gold, and wearing of fine clothing, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So once, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her, now her children, if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Likewise, you husbands, live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life in order that your prayers may not be hindered. I want to read you now a quote. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but I want to read you a quote that came out of that hideous strength. It's a central quote of the subplot of this woman developing a desire for her husband. It's a quote of the great quote of mystery, I call it. And it will appear, it will appear in, more than once throughout this next few days. Yeah, it, uh, we'll come back to it, especially on Friday. But here, it's Lewis is agreeing with this, and his female character, Mark's wife, uh, she got up and opened the one book that lay on the table in the middle of the room. Instantly, her eyes lit on the following words. The beauty of the female is the root of joy to the female as well as to the male. 
and it is no accident that the goddess of love is older and stronger than the god. To desire the desiring of her own beauty is the vanity of Lilith, but to desire the enjoying of her own beauty is the obedience of Eve. And to both it is in the lover that the beloved tastes her own delightfulness. As obedience is the stairway to, of pleasure, so humility is the... At that moment, the door was suddenly open. That theme, Lewis follows through the whole book in instructing Jane by the character Ransom. This quote was written by Lewis. It's not out of something. Lewis made it up. She remembers this quote right before she sees this quote. But there's a lot of stuff in there. You're saying, I don't understand a word you just said. Fine. I don't know. Well, who's Lilith? Don't worry about it. (laughs) The obedience of Eve. Obedience is the stairway of pleasure. Now, how does that tie with the the Peter passage? What does it it mean to be a a woman? Now, John O'Brien, some of you know John, and you know he's sometimes a wit. He came up one time with it. Now, you might not like this, but he <laughs> says, why, why is it? Women are smarter than men. Women live longer than men. Women are better looking than men. Why is it we run the world? Because we could knock you out. <laughs> Simple, you know. Because we're brutes. Because we break things. Because we go to war. Because there are other brutes around that we've got to fight. Women are wonderful creatures, magical creatures, desirable creatures, wubba wubba. Now, but women are weaker creatures. It's honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Live considerately with them because of that. A woman knows. Women are more pragmatic. We, we, we men deal with a magic that we don't understand. A woman walks up and opens her eyes to us and we think we're in love. We might be in love. We have this magical mojo thing. Women's desire is practical. They know the jeopardy they are in in life. And they seek a husband. When a woman is strong and is, you know, my mom was a missionary to Japan and was in her 30s and she didn't need no man. My sister was a missionary in Turkey in her 30s and didn't need no man. They didn't. They could have gone to their graves. Just fine. They finally met a man that made them feel, in Ararat or my father, that made them feel like they wanted to be protected by this man. And in both cases, they were eight years older than this man. Both cases. They finally found someone that stood in the gap, stood in the breach in such a way that made them feel protected. And women, because like, just like men, we are missing this part. We want to penetrate and get at it as much as possible, as frequently as possible, in as many ways as possible, from as many angles as possible. That's what we want. Women, on the other hand, are facing up to a jeopardy, and to the degree they recognize or have the jeopardy, and that someone comes along that is presumed to be able to meet that jeopardy, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children if you let nothing do likewise and let nothing terrify you. 
Women want men for sort of non-sexual reasons. Now on Friday we're going to get a little bit to how this affects the erotic nature of woman. Right? We're sort of presuming the erotic right now. We're sort of presuming that presence in your life. And, um, but some of these things, may ad we're addressing principles and we want you to um, uh, consider them. But you may have some questions about like, okay, we're, 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 uh, we're on the other path. We're, we're sort of got this frustration level going and he's not wanting to be patient with me and I don't want to put up with that and whatever the uh, uh, division or the frustration, whoever's facing it, yeah, but you can talk to us privately, but we'll also be addressing how, you know, my wife went through a nine-miraculous change by considering these things. And she'll be talking pretty heavily about it on Friday. Um, but, but women step into the situation, want marriage for the benefit of its rule. Now, not all women sit well with the rule, but that's why they're there. They're, they're, it's this provision, it's the protection. It says in the uh, Peter passage that a gentle and quiet spirit is what is desirable in a woman, in the, in that, it got, by God, not by the husband. A gentle and quiet spirit. And you, some of you know, Leslie. <clears throat> What? You you don't think what? Are you accusing my? Don't make me come. Well, I think my wife is a gentle and quiet spirit, and it's not because I'm stupid, and it's not because I uh, that unless she's some homeschooling gingham dressed, you know, throwback, um, she isn't a gentle and quiet. That's that's a model. When we say gentle and quiet spirit, we think little house on the prairie, you know, and and. Uh, I never quite caught the preciousness of that. Gentled and quieted tranquility. It's a freedom that she reaches. A woman reaches a freedom. A man finds his own, finds her back, gets her back. A woman finds a freedom. In, in marriage, she, she, she becomes quieted. She's not in a state of fretting. Now, we, we talked yesterday about you know, the contentious and fretful woman, we know that women can still let their anxieties ride to the front and get really negative. But what we're hoping that we do, as you govern these things, the morality, the walk, the membership, the sexuality, this produces a state of protected comfort in the wife that puts her in a position of being very thankful Um, in her life that she has. So the gentle and quiet spirit seems to point to a kind of at-peaceness. And it's given to her by the actions she took by her reverent and chaste behavior. Now, those were probably not the best words for, again, because we, as Lewis said, use the dangerous sense. We, we look at those words and we think we know what they mean. For to us, reverence means going to church and chastity means not putting out. And so what do Christian wives do? They hit every Bible study, Wednesday night prayer meeting, they're always hanging out the women's auxiliary for the deeds of darkest Africa, and they're not laying their husband. Especially because I wouldn't be chased. 
Okay, well, chastity, reverence, is the honor due a dignity. It's pointed in this passage in Peter to the husband, not to God. Because the example given as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. It's not about her reverence spiritually, it's about her reverence in the home. And her chastity, chastity is not not putting out, that's an aspect of it, but it's not putting out, you don't say, you know, I just saw Mr. and Mrs. Wilson came around the corner and they were, they were kissing. I can't believe how unchaste she is. You, say, you don't say that. Why, why do you not say, Mr. you're grossed out, but you don't, you're not, it's, it's not unchaste. Why is it not unchaste? Because chastity is not giving the degree of affection that is appropriate to the degree of vow. So when you see an engaged couple kissing, it's a, a degree of vow that allows it. If you know that a married couple went to bed and had sex, you don't go, oh, what a chaste couple. No, because it's the degree of vow covered that level of action, that level of affection. So when a woman is chaste towards her husband and reverent towards her husband, this is the production of a gentle and quiet life in her. She is farming, just like the man is farming to get closer and closer to his woman, closer and closer, more into her. She is resting more and more in his leadership, resting more and more in his uh, position. Um, so, the reason women concentrate on being effective, and I use the word effective a lot in this text as you look it over, um, she wants, she is purchasing a, trying to purchase a degree of protection by being effective, by being sexy and short skirt, low-cut blouse, whatever it is, or nice makeup, or a nice hairdo, or whatever it is. Um, even if it's very Christian and, and you might say adorned as, as uh, with modesty, she wants to be effective. She wants to be noticed by her husband. Uh, good, good works and service to others. Is that's the beauty of yeah. a Christian woman. It, it says that two times in the New Testament, that it's not your outward dress, your outward looks. It is your inward being that's the right adornment for a woman. It's not saying don't care about your looks. It's saying that's not what really is the matter. Real beauty is, is uh, uh, good deeds that pre uh, befit a woman who professes religion. Um, we know that women concentrate on this effectiveness. Um, you would you want to reconsider how much ordinate value you give it. We're grateful because when women show up in a situation and have taken some time, they decorate. They add to the beauty of the moment. It's more gracious with women there. George Gilder, in his book uh, Men in Marriage, said uh, women are the civilizing influence. It's because women show up that men sort of straighten up and take a bath and wear their good shirt. So all these things that women do are pointed, remember, underlying, just like it underlies all the perversions, rapprochement underlies all the perversions, so does a, a woman's desire to be effective so that she will be secured, so that she will be pulled out of the herd and made protected by somebody. Um, is the silent witness to her desire to have that. And uh, 
you know that this, if you wanted an example, this is something my father told me, and I, I thought about it for a minute, and, and lo and behold, my father was right. Um, he said, you notice how all men's magazines are filled with pictures of naked women? What are women's magazines filled with? These, pictures of women? These men don't look at Okay, I'm sure you've never seen it, but I've probably heard that uh, men's magazines are filled with pictures of women. Women's magazines are filled with pictures of women. <laughs> and that one magazine that came out back in the 70s, I think it was supposed to be the girl's version of Playboy, it was really bought by homosexual men. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, it's good. We have all this evidence looking at us that says, you know, like Lewis said, that in that quote, the beauty of the female is the root of joy to the female as well as the male. We're all interested in the same thing. The women are interested in their looks. We're interested in their looks. Let's work that out. Let's agree to that. Let's in our membership grant that she's the attractive one. Okay? I, you could, uh, this, okay. I don't mean to, this is probably too exciting. I've unbuttoned my shirt halfway down my chest. Okay? Driven to distraction? Anybody? Kind of sweating? Not even my wife. She cares for me. I could spray on my pants. But, you know, no? Not going to do anything for anybody. Um, and when you have male models, when, when you have male models, what do they start coming across as? Kind of girly. <laughs> They're saying, he's beautiful, and I feel strangely moved, but I, I, I think, I'm thinking of him as a, a woman, and they largely are. Now, the women are the things attractive. We all have this witness in our uh, uh, reading and in magazines, all the rest. It bears witness to this, um, that women want to have this effect to gain this. Um, now, how that works, you know, into, uh, into actually producing the arousal a wife will need to match their agreed upon, their membership agreed upon level of sexuality, whatever that includes, um, is, a, is something we will we'll get to at another point. Um, the... Uh, in thinking of these things, and we just cover them briefly, uh, the, the Tao is what we call the, the seeking for security, the Tao of Eve, and the Mojo is this rapprochement. In each of you, as you live together, you're recognizing what it is about you, but you are laboring to serve the good in the other. You don't want to be in a situation in a marriage where you're the one that is not working on something about the situation. You're not going to solve whatever sin problems you have, you correct your attitude problems, you're leaving it up to your spouse to try to figure out a way to make you a better person. You're not only here to make you a better person, you're here to give yourself in a way that is received as a gift. Have you ever been given something by grandma at Christmas that shows she does not understand anything about what a boy <laughs> wants? You know, you get shirts or underwear or, or some dated album 8-track by, you know, Three Dog Night. Boy, we made a mistake like that with Davis years ago. Bought him, yeah, I think Janis Joplin, The Eagles, and Three Dog Night for Christmas. And he was so offended. 
He was so offended. Now, now he likes them, but he was so offended at the time. It's, it's a, when you give gifts, you consider what the other person might want. You're not trying to make them want what you want. I really like this, I'm giving this to you. No, what would you want? And if my husband wants this narrative of rapprochement, where if, if he feels he's getting this entree into this great woman, and she's representing the, the, the triumph of his homecoming, you know, welcome home, sailor, that sort of uh, thrill of this is the best place to be, and she's letting me in the front door. She's letting me into her life. And, uh, uh, and the same is true with the man. When the man knows that the wife is looking for a sense of, um, um, what's the right word? I, I don't want to say just security, a sense of, of uh, honored protection. That this, she, has been, she has been singled out to be provided for, to be, um, to he- be hedged in. And uh, if I'm giving those kind of gifts to her and she's giving those kind of the, the opposite what gifts to me, it can work out pretty well. Um, so these narratives, you have to, um, you basically have to say, I have to learn to write these narratives. Otherwise, I'm going to be left to the slowly declining because as you live, I'm 57. And as it says of Abraham, his his natural force was not abated. I have not lost interest in sex. But I know people who are my age, and they say it in the commercials all the time, because did you ever think you were going to need a drug when you were in puberty to get you interested? I need a drug. I have to take a pill to be interested in my wife. He goes, well, maybe some people do, but my gosh. And maybe, maybe chemistry does change with age. But the only thing that can affect is the animal part of you. Because the erotic narrative that you have as a Christian, that you say, God has given me this woman to pursue my lifelong, and uh, find that rapprochement with her. And after 40 years together, you ought to be really good at it really good at it. I mean, the, the, these are things that the erotic mind can overcome the... Um, I, I, I'll, I'll sp- it's a little bit of a spoiler. My wife is in menopause right now. That's it. This business is that's, closed. That's it, huh? Yeah, that's all there is. Okay. She's going to be put her in a home. <laughs> and uh, that's it. But no, and, and what do they say about men? Oh, well, your libido and your testosterone decreases by 50% every 10 years. They're trying to explain to people who have lost their mojo that it's all mechanism, it's all machinery, it's all materialism. My wife is a far more sexual woman today than she was when we got married. At 54. Four. In menopause. It's kind of scary. She will talk to you privately if you're interested. Women. Women. (laughs) And I will talk to you men. Now, this raises the question because we... I have a, a summation right there. These separate narratives 
you play to those. You don't play to, oh, I've got these kind of genitals and he's got those, and I guess we're better, the Bible says we've got to use them and can't have a baby any other way. Uh, and it's rather dry uh, bother, really taking all the fun out of sex. Um, women are aroused by the recognition of lords, and men are aroused by the degree of welcome. You know, it's a, it's a simple thing to watch any men. I think I mentioned it, it the other night about the rather repellent woman I saw at Winco. She was, I mean, just in objective artistic terms, she looked like a troll. And uh, it's not, not her fault. Jesus loves her. Uh, but uh, her top was cut down to here. And she had huge tracts of land. And I told Leslie, I said, Leslie, Men are just like, you know, doesn't matter. She, she looks like a troll. And still, men are interested. Because she was showing a degree of welcome to everybody in Winco. Everybody got to see what only a husband should be allowed to see. I think she had a skirt on that. I didn't notice the skirt. Yeah. yeah. Didn't get Legs that far. And, yeah. She was working it. Now... So this, what, going about this, say, uh-oh, going about this. What I mean, he's he's pretty direct, just on the philosophy. He's saying crude things. I could never look him in the eye. Like Kelly O'Brien cannot look me in the eye at church <laughs> after this seminar. Um, we're not going to actually talk about those things. I mentioned that earlier. We're not going to talk about how often should a Christian couple have sex. Because everybody would like the husbands like to go home, honey, he said, and give a number. And the wife's going to curse the pastor. <laughs> and we're not going to talk about what positions are legal, what type of actions, you know, that, that sort of stuff is, is, is what a lot of times Christian seminars get around to because they want to be, you know, either edgy. I don't mind being edgy, but they, 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 people want to know what to do. You know, and somebody, because you don't resolve this problem of the narratives that are erotic narratives to both, it's going to favor somebody or that. Or you're going to have to negotiate your way. The wife says, okay, all right, I'll put up three times a week. Three times, that's it. Three times. And the guy said, oh, boy, it's better than it is now, so I better strike a deal. Well, it's good. She's got it offered. I'm going to take it. But he's going to be up. There's four days in the week. I, I'm missing. And it's free. I, remember, I don't remember telling her it was free. <laughs> <laughs> and so you find yourself negotiating a settlement. How is that a membership that is based on the way God made the world? The reason... We're not going into uh, those, those practical things. Is because it's embarrassing. And this is a mixed audience, male and female, mixed also, married and unmarried. Okay? And uh, we just don't want to talk that way about it. It'd be a little bit too. Uh, again, I think I'm being as direct as Ezekiel was in chapter 23 which I will never preach out of. 
Okay, I want to let you know. Say Ezekiel twenty-three. Write that down real quick before I forget. Well, it's Ezekiel talking about the judgment on Samaria and Israel because they went after their foreign lovers because of the size of their sex organs. Dun, dun, dun. You say, I can see why you're never preaching out of that. Because <laughs> I can't think of some Christian application. <laughs> now, so I'm, I'm being as direct about it, but I don't want to get into nuts and bolts. Again, privately, if you want to talk. The other reason is my father has drummed into me, paddling me unmercifully, um, and taught me um, a, a approach to Christianity that I, I, I use in the church I pastor and in uh, how I raise my family, and it's uh, central. Being is different than doing. Many people say, well, it's, better, it's good to do, right? Well, in the Christian life, many people just want to be told what to do. They want a list. They want a law. And a law is followed by Pharisees. And a sexual law, you wouldn't want your spouse putting out according to the rules. What you want is you have to, have to become something together. In your membership together, you're going to deal with this so that your mental problem is fixed. It lets you discover the nuts and bolts. In the privacy of your own, I get to say privacy, in the privacy of your own boudoir, you're able to find out what a Christian is allowed to do. Because you're with a woman and with a man who understands the narrative of lordship and welcome. And because you've been talking about it and flirting with each other on that basis, not on the basis of the animal urge and getting your rocks off, but on the basis of on the basis of what really brings the erotic to life, you will find out what you can do, and you'll be confident of it. You won't be saying, well, the pastor said, it's okay. You'll know what you want to do, and it'll make you curious, and it will make, when you finally do go talk to someone like Leslie, if you're a woman, you're the kind of woman that is not going, I don't want to hear this. You're interested. You're curious. Because you found what it is to be a wife, or you found what it is to be a husband. I, I could trust people who are generous to give. When people aren't generous to give, what do you have to teach all the time? The tithe. You have to bring the rule up. You say, Christians have got to give 10%, no matter what. I don't have to worry about making my church godly. I don't teach the tithe. I don't believe in the tithe. I believe in teaching people to be better Christians. And when they finally become generous Christians, I know they'll give to wherever it needs. They'll give. Because they are that way. I want you to be the kind of women who are this way. Who look to their husbands and call him Lord. Not actually Lord. It wouldn't hurt, but... That have this reverence and know that you desired marriage because of that reverence. Because of what... Even if you were just thinking in adolescent terms about what you were pretending he was. And then after you lived with him and installed the toilet seat up for the 50th time, you don't really think of him as an adequate lord anymore. You're not lord of the toilet seat, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and men say, it has a hinge. You could actually put it down. 
<laughs> Don't want to start that argument, but I will finish it. We are not Freudian uh, pressure cookers. We don't need sex because our testicles will blow up if we don't have sex. It, it's not like that. No, it, Freud may have believed it, but men do without sex for years at a time. And if you're a Christian, when you were single, you did it without, you've gone through puberty and you didn't get married until you were 25. That is about 10 years of restraint. It doesn't, you're not driven crazy by it. Um, we're not having sex to stop the pressure of the desire for sex to make us immoral. Um, we have to answer what is the real temptation. It's not the physiology. I'm not driven to distraction because my body needs release. I'm yearning for honor and welcome. I knew a couple that got divorced, good friends of ours, um, and he could track it, he was unfaithful, he could track it to the moment where his wife was ragging on him at the hospital where he was caring for his father who had to be hospitalized for dementia. And um, his wife just lit into him for something. And she was a very attractive woman, great legs. Um, a nurse came up to him and complimented him on his care for his father. And they had a affair. Destroyed the marriage. Because it wasn't. Matter of fact, I, I was counseling them during the divorce or the, the breakup and I talked to them about the sex. They had sex, the husband and wife, regularly. It wasn't the lack of sex. And his wife was beautiful. But there wasn't the honor and the welcome. And someone honored him. Suddenly, if you don't understand the narrative that moves men, if you don't understand the narrative that moves women, why are women currently always... making unpleasant noises about men playing video games? I knew one marriage nearly ended because a guy bought comic books all the time. Dropped out of, failed all his classes at the university, didn't tell his wife he was failing, he just would go down to the comic book store and read comic books. Nearly ended the marriage. If a man doesn't, it's not, well, I sleep with her, what's the problem? I'm faithful to her, what's the problem? Well, you know, she's, she's not in it for the your genitals. She may have a wonderful time in sex, but what she's in it for is something else. You need to know the narrative. You need to know what you're speaking to. In Proverbs 7, there's a negative image of the adventurous. In that first nine chapters of Proverbs, Sophia, wisdom, is, is represented as a woman, juxtaposed against the adventurous folly that is... One wants wisdom pursued and the other wants hotness or sexuality pursued. This is speaking of the adventurous. Listen to this description. She seizes him and kisses him. And with impudent face she says to him, 
I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have decked my couch with coverings, colored spreads of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And the guy gets turned to scrambled eggs. You know, he's, my gosh. Bad women know what good women deny. Bad women know what buttons to push. They might push it dishonestly. They might, might push it immorally. But it's not because she said, I have perfumed my bed. Let's do the deed till morning. It's not because she said that. It's not because she came out to meet him and sought him eagerly. That's not what made her bad. She was married to somebody else, and so was he. That she seized him and kissed him shamelessly was the problem. Just who was doing it? It was unchaste because of the vow. And too often, ever since St. Augustine taught that sex and marriage was a sin, unavoidably, you had to do it, but it was always sin, just a venial sin. But uh, Christians have always had a hard time with these icky acts because we see the unchristian version, here's the adventurous, and so we see bad girls with short skirts and low-cut blouses or whatever else they scamper around in, and we think that any kind of thing that is similar to that in a Christian marriage is bad. Now, think about those things. Seizes, kisses shamelessly. He's welcomed. She prepared for him. She welcomed. She awarded him. Um, she promised to take it at a level a man imagines he could give it. Because frankly, none of that all night long for pretty soon. You're like, Can we just go to sleep? I gotta work tomorrow. <laughs> but honey, let's do it again. <laughs> but you, you say, yeah, I'd like to be able to tell my wife, no, honey, not again. <laughs> I'd like to be able to do that in such a way that I could tell my friend, yeah, I had to tell my wife. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're quite a stud, you know. You, 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 but really, that's just the message. She spoke, the adventurous spoke to the narrative. She speaks of what he wants the way he wants it. Now, a Christian woman, you won't think like a man regarding it. These are not, I'm not saying that the woman will develop a reproachment mentality. She's not. She's developing, she is giving of herself. She's a gift where she gives his narrative to him. And he should give her narrative to her. Got that? A woman is learning the joy of being enjoyed. Like it spoke of the obedience of Eve was the desire, the desiring of her enjoying of her beauty. A woman enjoys being enjoyed. Now, in sex, 
C.S. Lewis covers this in Eros, uh, erotic sex, erotic love in his book, The Four Loves. And I, uh, I don't know if it occurs in that chapter or whether it's in the friendship chapter. He brings up the notion of two crowns of husbands. I think it's in the erotic chapter. Christian husbands have two crowns. Uh, every husband has at least one crown, and that's a paper crown. It's a paper crown of his dominance. It's, it's, it's a game we're playing. It's a play. We are, our sexuality with our wife is, a, is playing. We are representing. We're taking on roles. Matter of fact, the narrative that you're expressing uh, is sometimes comically done. You're sometimes laughing. Matter of fact, that's the word um, when uh, uh, Abimelech uh, of Gerard, Gerard noticed that Jacob was, hold it, isn't that your sister? Because it says, saw him fondling uh, um, Isaac, excuse me, not Jacob. Isaac fondling Rebecca. The actual word used is they were laughing together. Just like the affection and breasts. Fondling was exactly the word laughing. Our sexuality is a blast. It's, it's a positive. It's a, and it's the play acting. The play acting that goes on involves this faux dominance that, that men have. The more they, you know, well, why do women read the books they read? where some pirate ravishes them. A pirate? You want to be raped by a pirate? No woman I know wants to be raped by a pirate. No woman wants to be raped. Why do they read books like that? Or the cold duke who, who abuses them. You want to be abused? No. We, because the image, the narrative, the excitement is based not on being in the situation, but having your mind set in play about the situation. So like if your husband treats you a little bit uh, like you were something he could throw around the bedroom and does so, you may, if you're not annoyed with him just generally, um, you might actually enjoy it. Oh, take me, you pirate. <laughs> now, I don't know what you're doing in the bedroom. I hope it's not that, but it's... The, the idea of the paper crown. It's a crown, it's a dominance, but it's a role we play. I am sky father, she is earth mother. Okay? And, and whatever narrative you're imagining about this taking, you're playing out this metaphor of all sorts of wonderful things, much higher than your gymnastics. Okay? Your gymnastics are a good little fun, and if you knew how silly you looked... <laughs> How silly you looked and how grotesque. Good thing it's private. It's a good thing it's private. Now, give um, give that some consideration. That, that occurs. In, that can occur in non-Christian marriages. This play-acted dominance of the male, uh, submission of the female, and women like that sense because it says, "I am irresistible to the pirate. He must have been." <laughs> But you have another crown too, gentlemen. And C.S. Lewis points that out to the Christian husband. It's the crown of thorns. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Now, it's a... Uh, and that, for a Christian wife, as she is called to honor you as Lord, is called to look up and reverence her husband, 
if you just have the paper crown where you flex your biceps and you drive up in your Camaro and, and she's supposed to feel a little giddy because you're so strong. Um, yeah, guys who drink Bud Light do that. Okay? And no offense to Bud Light, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Or PBR. Now, if you also have the crown of thorns, you have stood so far above the rank and file man, you have guided, you have prayed with, you have taught, you uh, have sacrificed for your wife, and gladly so. Um, so it's a, the, the, the taking these things on, knowing that it's a play arena, but it's a play arena where narratives speak very loudly. And narratives, narratives um, if you can be married in it, if you know what you're about, you've both been informed, if you know what you're about, you can raise the erotic level, the octane of it, quite a bit. It says in Genesis 18, when we back in Peter 3, it says that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. The only time in the scriptures she did is when at the Oaks of Mamre, the Lord came with two angels to visit Abraham to tell him he would have a son the next year before they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, down in verse uh, 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. It means with Sarah. Menopause. Now she's close to 100 at this point. He's, a, he's about 100. Uh, after she dies, he gets married again and has about 14 other kids. Okay, he's not, uh, like I said, slowing down. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband, and that's where it says Lord. The word for husband is Adonai. Lord. My Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? This dominus, this lordship, is, and I intended the pun here, bed and butter. Not bread and butter, but... In, and in your erotic fiction, you know, you know what that is like. Um, it's, I'm encouraging you to take what God has given as central, this physicality, central, but it's a play at the center. Not a play like a theatrical one where you're just pretending to be somebody else, but play together. Romping. Running about. And you've got the story you can tell to make the running about more pleasurable than other couples can imagine having. It lets us know in 1 Corinthians 7, concerning the matters which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not rule over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not rule over his own body, but the wife does. This is the place where I wanted to say, ladies, this is a place where you can be in charge of your husband. As far as I'm aware, it's the only place in the scriptures where uh, you are given 
You can demand him, charge. demand Nike time of him. <laughs> and he's going to go, oh, honey, really? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, is that um, it's in, in getting it, not avoiding it. Um, that you yeah, it's it. not like, I'm in charge here, stay away from me. <laughs> That's, Look what it says next. Do not refuse one another. Do not refuse one another. Okay, another verse for the fridge. <laughs> the wife goes, keep putting this verse on the fridge. <laughs> Except perhaps, listen to this, by agreement. What have we been talking about for three days? Membership. By agreement. If you're not going to have sex, you agree you're not going to have sex. You don't refuse each other unless you agreed, perhaps for a reason like this, for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Not because you don't want to get pregnant, not because you're just too busy. You can, you can knock off having sex for a good reason if you agree with each other that it's a good reason, and then it says, but come together again, lest Satan tempt you through lack of self-control. I mentioned this, I think, last night. Sex is Trump's piety. You can only be so pious. You're supposed to stop being so pious to get back to sex. Because your real piety, your morality, is threatened by the absence of sex. It has to be by agreement. Paul seems to think that he talks a little bit about being single. But he says we're better to marry than to burn with passion. You need to realize that once you start pulling out all the sexuality in the scripture and start looking at it, say, oh my gosh, there's a lot. There's an awful lot about sexuality. A whole book in the Song of Solomon. We're not trying to avoid this. We're trying to build an agreeable, married, that means this membership, ruling together. All things ruled together. The spirituality ruled together. Your finances ruled together. Your child rearing ruling together. Your bedtime, gymnastics, ruling together. God says, what I'm joining together, let not man put asunder. Are you using your own reasons to put, and staying within marriage, but I'm going to put asunder, Lord. I'm, just, I'm going to unilaterally, not by agreement, I'm going to put asunder. That, the word divorce just means separation. That's why you're unmarried. It says an interesting verse in Corinthians. I don't have it here, but you can look it up. It talks about, talking about divorce. It says, uh, a woman uh, should not separate from her husband. But if she does... She should remain single or be reconciled to her husband. Okay? That's the, that's the verse. The word single is agamos, means unmarried. She should remain unmarried or reconciled to her husband. Hold it, she still has a husband? I thought she was unmarried. Remember, marriage is the... That's what you're doing. You're living from the nitty-gritty, physical penetrative sex at a regular, exciting level 
or you're separating. Some degree of divorce. Well, I don't believe in divorce. I just think we ought to, you know, stiff upper lip and, and, and not do that stuff anymore. Well, that's divorce just in a, at a low ebb. You just haven't ramped up divorce to its legal level. You haven't, you haven't called off your marriage, but you've called off being married in it. We know that sex is the image of marriage and of our membership. How you're doing in bed, how you're doing in bed is what you're saying about marriage and membership. That's just like I said, yeah, what the nature of your vow, the nature of your sex, the nature of your membership is the quality, the quality of those things. This is that again. This is central to it. You can't deny it. You, you have to realize that God says it is you know, it was well for a man not to touch a woman because of the temptation to immorality that each man have his own wife, each woman her own husband. Racing through that verse. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. You better come back together and start having sex even though you were praying. You better come back and have sex because Satan could tempt you through lack of self-control. Our moral purity is hanging on us jumping each other with some regularity. Serving as Christians, serve, understanding each other, because we'll get to that tomorrow. Um, we have to understand each other. Membership, talking these things over without learning who this person is as a woman, who this person is as a man, isn't successful membership. Uh, Lewis taught me something many years ago before I was married. I, listened, I had his talks on love on tape. This was back when people had tapes. And I would listen to him in my VW van. And uh, I listened to his Eros. As a matter of fact, while we were dating, I had her listen to the one on Eros. We listened to all of them. Together? Yeah. yeah I just remember the Eros even one. <laughs> I was probably just getting at the Eros one. Said, Let's listen to these tapes, shall we? <laughs> Lewis makes a great point about love. Especially something as high fun. We love them. We love these women. And we hope they love us. And sometimes you get caught up in the wonder of love and the, and, and the spiritual moment of our sexuality to get... Eh, knock it off. <laughs> Lewis has the view. He says, if, if any of these loves rises to the point of being a god or goddess, it becomes a demon. He says, really, Venus is more of a jackass than it is a goddess. It's a lovable, infuriating animal. You have to beat it with a stick sometimes, coax it with a carrot other times, but whatever, it always seems to be a comic, a comic moment. It helped me an awful lot. Our conversations are, are more fraught with humor regarding our sex life than anything else. Well, and even just the fact that there's a lot of humor out there about sex should tell you that it's funny. <laughs> <clears throat> and when you're, you're private, you're not embarrassing the children or, or your neighbors. You, you could be as body as you want to be. Remember, you have sex together. You're, the joking about <laughs> organs and such is, is not a problem. But what it does, it keeps it from becoming too lifted up and too easy to fear 
tripping or posturing as if we were uh, fear making a mistake or posturing as if something has to be arrived at, some mystical, some, you, you're supposed to have a really good time. The Lord is greatly merciful to us. He gave us this great gift and he made it fun and he made us somewhat silly. And um, I recommend that, that, that in your times not, you can, you can say very loving, tender things in her ear during, but uh, slap her on the butt going through the kitchen <laughs> when no one else is there. <laughs> now, I have lived a life in front of people for 32 years. <laughs> and people, you know, coming suddenly out of doors. Uh, and uh, we have managed to get her slapped on the rear end. <laughs> it takes some doing. <laughs> have to generally get on a schedule. <laughs> if you're not going to use this, what are you going to use to govern? What are you going to use? Something's got to govern this. Or are you just depending on your loins? Because if you depend on your loins and your passions, they will never align or rarely align with hers or his. You depend on your passions. Are you going to depend on romance where St. Valentine's Day, you know she's got to put out on St. Valentine's Day. And your anniversary. And I know women who have talked says, yeah, well, anniversary, I kind of owe it. What? What kind of whack job are you? Some men try to get all hairy thunderer about it. You know, I want it. And make it interesting, that sort of uh, notion. And women get contentious about it and fight the other way. It uh, has to be governed. <laughs> If you are not governed by principle, you will be governed by passion. Or stupidity, or tradition, <laughs> or habits. And the habits slowly wane. You get raising kids, raising kids those 20 those some years where you got X number of kids in the house. It seems like, oh golly, so much is I'm tired. Because like, we were saying about the couples. Um, you look at each other, and he puts on a punch, and. and She's not 18 anymore. And uh, if you don't have, if you don't have reasons for what you're doing that you are farming, husbanding, you will default. And what are you defaulting to? Now, if there's a, a service to the over-desires of each, you can plan a happy sexual life till you're an old coot and cootus, if that's a word, cootet, old coot and cootet. Now, there's not always, this area of, of willingness, because some people who hear this sort of thing may go, I don't like what he's saying. I don't agree with what he's saying. I think he's some patriarchal troglodyte. Um, and uh, I'm not, uh, I think it's fine just for us to be in love and romantic and when sex comes on we, and it works out for both of us, that's the way it should be. I just don't agree. Well, if you're in a situation where someone has a different notion and it's, it's going to cause frustration, cause not happiness, but, but uh, a different idea in, in one of the spouses, um, you don't ha you're not going to solve this by sexual understanding or motivation. Uh, 
That goes back to night one when we talked about humane, holy, and tranquil. Where are your submissions? Do you desire to please God? Is what you're doing being taught by the scriptures? Remember the standard of, of if you disagree, you're welcome to. But you've got to disagree knowing why, what authority it's based on, what are you supporting your view with, not just I want to do it this way. That never sounds good. Um, I trust that you've been looking at scriptures here and um, uh, you, you, you'd, want to, you'd want to fall back. If you have a spouse, man or woman, that is not interested in following principles to guide your sexuality, you're probably going to have to deal with a different kind of problem uh, first. Uh, there has to be the desire to please God, the desire to live in God's creation the way he wanted. Um, a thing I noted last time when I was making this lectures together is sometimes women, because they're waiting to be convinced to have sex, because they're not convinced to have sex, um, they want to just be really exciting looking, and then the man has to jump over X number of hurdles and do the right things and not make her feel bad any time in the two days previous and give her something, maybe take her to dinner, maybe he'll get laid. Now, in other words, a married man has to seduce his own wife. He already got done seducing you. He vowed before witnesses. You vowed to keep yourself only unto him. That's what you vowed. You vowed into marriage. You didn't get vowed into a committee of child rearing. You didn't get vow your way into uh, a club with the last name Wilson. You vowed your way into sex. Been done. Seduced you. Proposed. You said yes. That meant for the years ahead, you're going to be nailing him. That's what you owe. Now, if you want to deal with it so it's a joy... Instead of, I don't like that because I don't want to get nailed and I wanted him to have to seduce me so I could always claim he wasn't good enough at it or he wasn't nice enough or didn't understand my feelings. Don't be a bitch. For heaven's sake, submit yourself before the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. Um, there's a time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. And we got to find, together, we could find that time. We, we're, we're not like rabbits, Leslie and I. Almost. But not. And, uh, but we think about where we're going to find time. We're a busy life. We find time. Because God has made marriage a time for sex. And the time in marriage has got to be given. I have to give it priority. I'm not even allowed to pray too long, right? If I pray too long, if I go after the Lord's guidance in my life, and honey, I'm before the Lord praying, he said, that's fine, but remember, we've got to stop in a week because we've got to get laid. Because that's what God wants. The Apostle wants. He warned us about it. And uh, looking for you, you said, yeah, I remember, I'm still a little bit shocked, Evan, when you said husband said 30 to 60 times a month. Because if I get, if, if a woman gets, if I get, if I get sexually liberated in my marriage, I can't take it. Not 30 times a month. Because I got, there's my period, you know, is part of that, so I get crammed 30 times into the 20 days left. I sleep sometimes. 
Uh, just a, a, a piece of good news. Um, if you get sexually liberated and you start ringing his chimes with some exciting regularity in a way that maybe the adventurous was good at, uh, he was only bragging when he said 30. <laughs> he, was, he was just wishful thinking. He was saying, yeah, that's good. When I don't have any, I want 30. When I have 15, I want to rest. <laughs> okay? I want to take some time off. <laughs> that's just the way, that's the way of it. Um, well, that's a reminder to you girls that, that, that welcome, you will not be done wrong by your God. This is done for your God. It's as to the Lord. It's submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. We're thinking of this as, as servants of the living God, not servants of lust or servants of, of romance and marriage. We're servants of God. And we want to do it the way God wants it done. This is his creation, his body. And he gave me marriage. and gave me this wife. So doing it that way for the ladies is, is uh, um, thinking in those terms. But the guys, on the other hand, this projection thing, it takes a while to shake that because you think that somehow you take your shirt off in the bedroom and she's just going to go all salivating and on you. Um, you're not... Um, opening her up sexually is something that's going to happen by the narrative changing. By you becoming more excellent. You becoming a greater benefit to her. She's going to have no argument when you're less of a toad. And you're a bit more of a of a of a character that God wants you to be, um, and don't get caught up in some other side adventure that you think being a smarty pants theologian is kind of what she gets hot for. You know, it's it's uh, um, or biceps in the Camaro. I mean, if she's in high school, yeah. Your wife in high school? I hope not. Um, it reminds us to live considerately with them. Do not be harsh with them. Honor them. Not in a whipped way. Not in something, honey, please pay attention to me. Please let me have a little feel. No, it's not. You're not trying to cop a feel and pay for it with flowers. You're, you're trying to say, honey, I've decided you did a great job this week. I'm taking you to dinner. Here's some flowers. Let's make out. <laughs> That was not actually a suggestion. <laughs> well, I think I should probably end there. There's one, the, the, this bit about this quote of mystery that, that we'll get to on Friday as well. The Lilith thing, the, 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 the kind of women who are just happy with making men desire, a lot of that is so that they can have leverage. They want you to desire so they can punish you. The one thing I've noticed about marriages that try to be equal means that the woman's in charge. Now, why is that? Because if it's equal, the one who can punish the other one is in charge. The man can do nothing to punish a wife. The woman, she's got the leverage. She can be sexy and not hand it out and make him perform and make him pay up to get what he wants. So we're trying to avoid that. And is... Um, 
that, that notion there I want you to be thinking about because we're going to be talking about the male's debt to his wife in terms of authority, what the scriptures tell us, limit us and, and guide us to be the kind of woman that she'd love to call Lord. Kind of man. Kind of man. Kind of man. I meant that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Thanks for sex. We're grateful. In your son's name, amen. Amen.